Today's podcast is brought to you by my number one choice in tires, Pirelli. And since I used to be a race car driver, I know a thing or two about tires. The iconic tire brand is known for its long tradition of innovation, advanced technologies, and high-quality products. Pirelli recently added the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3 to its American range. Developed to go the distance, it comes with a 70,000-mile treadwear warranty. Choose more mileage, more comfort, more control with the new Scorpion All-Season Plus 3. Ask your local dealer for a tune-up. Trust me, I'm a driver. You know, they've got the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach, the celebrity race, right? The pro celebrity race. I end up doing it. I end up winning. The next year, they invite me to come back as the previous winner. They tell me that I got to start at the back of the pack. I was in first place in four laps. Their 25th anniversary, they invite me back. They invite a bunch of like previous winners. I didn't get the call, by the way. You you were probably busy that weekend. (laughs) Actually, no, that would have been before you were were racing. All right, I I feel less slighted. <laughs> they anyway. I went into turn one, no brakes, because I put my foot to the floor. Nothing happened. I grabbed the e brake, pull it up, and kind of get the car to rotate. So I went in sideways and didn't take the front out. So then I just used the gears and the e brake the rest of the way. No, you didn't. I finished third. No, you didn't. <laughs> I don't even think I could have done that. <laughs> This podcast exists because I love talking to people and I love going deep. The purpose is to plant seeds of inspiration. We enter a space of vulnerability and relatability. And what you realize is that we are so much more alike than we are different. To quote Ramdas, we're all just walking each other home. And the show is just one step. I'm Danica Patrick and I'm pretty intense. I'm so happy to have Alfonso Ribeiro on the Pretty Intense podcast today. I've known Alfonso for a really long time. We met about 25 years ago at a go-kart track. And when I met him, he was just finishing up a little show called Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, where he played Carlton Banks. And trust me, he does still does the dance till today. <laughs> I've seen him do it many times. We finally had the time to like really go into these experiences and the memories of racing go-karts. He really has some, some really great perspectives on life, but he's just a really, really happy podcast positive guy. I have no doubt that as you listen to this podcast, you will be smiling too. And if this podcast doesn't get you to smile, I know that watching America's Funniest Home Videos, which comes out in October on Nat Geo, will get you to smile because who has not watched America's Funniest Home Videos? I used to watch that all the time. So have fun with this episode. We're rolling. And we're rolling. That's the That would be literally the most official start of a podcast that I will have ever had. <laughs> Kind of freak people out because usually I just start talking about something that just came up, like something natural. And then we start going and every now and again, somebody goes, oh, have we started? I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, um, take two. And I'm like, not really, but okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that that whole beginning is still going to be on air. Yes. Oh, that whole thing. It's still, yeah, yeah, this two. Well, that's that's the the reality to me is, is like, you know, because I've done a few of these in the past, right, where... The moment you absolutely come on, you recognize, oh, this is where we're going. Like, it's never a, all right, let's get started. I'm like, oh, we haven't started? Okay. We can just, I just assume we're going. That's, but that's smart. See, you're seasoned. You've done a billion interviews. (laughs) Not a billion, like, like a hundred million. Yeah. Sorry. I overestimated. (laughs) Do you ever get sick of them though? I mean, like I totally got sick of them. Like at the end of my racing career, I was like, God, these are just the most, these are different to me, but like regular interviews, I'm like. The the ones that are the hardest for me are the SMT. The, those, and I wouldn't say that I'm tired of them. They're just harder to do because you start out with all the zest and the energy of whatever it is that you're trying to promote and you want to talk about it. But then all of a sudden, like, you're two and a half hours in and you're like, yep, I've said this 25 times already. For people that don't know an SMT, Satellite Media Tours, where you sit down in a chair, they've got a camera in front of you and every, I mean, it's differently purport. Like I've had them every seven minutes before. I've had them every 10. I've had them every 15, but they're, they're just one after another. And so usually they want like two hour windows for them. 
And I hit my threshold at about 90 minutes. I, I, I can make the two hours. And, and so, like, we've tried to get the two hours to be the max. But every once in a while, it's like three. And, the, you know, the radio tours are easier because you can literally move around the house. Yeah, you're like, mm, you know, and you yeah. You don't have to look anyway. You don't have to exactly. keep your shit together. You yeah, can just- yeah, yeah. You're, not, you're not here. You're not looking into the green light, right? Just pretend like I'm not here. That's the magic. Just <laughs> pretend like I'm not here. Do whatever you'd normally do. Just look into the green light. <laughs> <laughs> and, and keep saying the same stuff over and over again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's like I said, so I don't get tired of them because it's like I, I still feel blessed that I get to do these right right? like I mean obviously there's a like there's a reason right that I get to do it and I'm lucky enough to do it so I I I kind of put it together in that way I kind of go yeah well you know what I get to do these you know yeah you know you hate the ones where they misquote you or they you know I I like it when it's more like this right like so you know this will go out and it will be my words with me on camera saying whatever I'm saying. In entirety. In entirety, right? A setup, here's the story, here's the, like the whole thing versus you, you say something and they, we're going to take that line and put it over here and move it around. And th- those are the ones that you don't, you don't enjoy. Yeah. Where did you, where did you get your humor? Like, I mean, where did that come from? Is it? Uh, cultivated as it, I mean, it's, it's got to be a lot natural. Was your dad funny? Your mom? My, my mom and dad aren't funny at all. And oh, well, so that's kind of funny, actually. They would, they, they probably be like, "What? I'm funny? Um, no, you're not." Um, I, I would just say, I think being the baby of the bunch, right? So I'm the youngest of three boys. I think I had to find humor in things because it was just a lot of mayhem. Right. Growing up with all three of us. Um, And so if there's any place that it came from, it would be just kind of like I was the kid who just was like, yeah, whatever. And just I found the you know, I've always been glass half full kind of guy. And I think that really lends itself to my brand of comedy. Whereas the, there are the guys who and, and women who are glass half empty, and that's the source of their comedy, right? It comes from a dark place. Mine comes from a very happy, light, fun, you know, enjoying life. You know, even when things aren't good in my life, I'm still enjoying life. And I, and I think that that take on everything allows me to dive deeper into just trying to bring a lightness, a fun, a happiness to every situation that I'm in. You know, even if you're talking about a serious situation, I'm probably going to make a joke somewhere because I'd rather everybody kind of light and open than than not. And I would say that that I've used it mostly in my life as a director. Because when you're directing and everybody's in the process and everybody's trying to figure out what they want to do and how they want to say something, sometimes that moment, lighting it up, just just taking the pressure out of the moment and putting it on me and taking it away from everybody just allows them to go, oh, and they breathe. And then all of a sudden, I feel like, especially with younger people when I was working for you know Disney, they would they would absolutely give you a better performance and the performance would be just a lot happier and lighter. And especially with Disney Channel, you wanted that kind of energy, right? Where everybody yeah. felt light. And I felt like I was able to to really kind of help with that lightness and, and just, you know, when I when I read things, when I hear things, uh I I I connect it and I connect it to a lot of the stuff that I always do. It's all regurgitated humor. Something that I saw, somebody I, you know, I connected to, you know, Eddie Murphy or, right, Richard Pryor, you know, um, Robin Williams, you know, I would, I would, I would look at these comedy routines and then all of a sudden I wouldn't say what they're saying, but the essence of the way they delivered it would show itself up in something else that I would be doing that may not at all be connected, but the essence of whatever that needed to be, I would try to drive that into that scene. Mm, wow. How, 
cool too that you went at from the positive standpoint of comedy versus the negative. Is that just the way you are or is that, uh, or can you identify where that came from? Was there, was there like a heaviness in the house that you wanted to lighten up? Was it your, was your, were your brothers serious? Like, did you just choose that lane, uh, based on environment or was this, is this just very innate? I think, I think it's mostly innate. I think it is, it is a large part of just who I am as a person. Um, in, in growing up, you know, my brothers and I, we fought all the time. Like physically, yes, all the time, right? We were three boys. My oldest brother is three years older than me. So, right? And there's three of us. So we were bang, bang, bang. And at that age, it's like you're constantly wrestling, you're constantly fighting, you're constantly arguing, right? There's, there was a lot of that in, in my, in my house. And like, I used to always say, like, in school, I became famous because I was in the principal's office when a phone call came in about a Broadway show called The Tap Dance Kid because I had just been in a fight, right? So I I was that kid, right? Like I used to always laugh because when I would see you, right, at races and somebody might hit you and, and take you out and I would see you just storming down pit lane ready to go take on some dude who's, who's twice your size and I was like, yeah, I recognize that person because that was me. <laughs> Right. I was always the shortest kid in the class. I was the smallest guy. Right. But I used to always say, yeah, you might win, but you but you gonna have to fight to win. And you better watch your ankles. (laughs) Okay, okay, Yo, I'm gonna hit you straight in the gut. Um, but, (laughs) But but like that was something that I dealt with. But I but I was still a bright light. I still was like, no, we're going to try to like have fun. And I always wanted to have fun. But but, you know, kids can be mean sometimes. And so I I literally I fought three times a week in grade school. Um, It was just part of what it was. And I used to always say, yeah, but you know what? I'm going to try to make sure you never do it again because you know what the end result is going to be. The end result is going to be that you're going to be in a fight. So you're not just going to You could have gone MMA. (laughs) Well. You could have gone gone a whole different direction. Yeah, but they would have needed a little peewee MMA league. Oh, they're going to weight categories? Yeah, yeah. you know, but I was thick. So I still had the weight, just not the the physical size. Who wants to starve themselves that much anyway just to, like, weigh in? When Will Smith was doing Ali... Um, oh yeah! Actually went and spent. Um, I spent probably six months with them training um, mm. with Angelo Dundee and all of these heavyweight boxers, and so I spent six months like learning to box. And we'd have to fight once a week in the gym, and so you know, you I, will. I, that I, sounds fair. Well, no, I would have to fight him. No, other people in the gym. Um, but the w- weird thing is I ended up fighting, like, the one guy that I'd fight all the time was 300 pounds. But he was my size at 300 pounds. So it was, I got to hit him four times to take one punch. And, but, like, that kind of training, that's, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I never, I never tried boxing. I think I took, like, one kickboxing class one time about 10 years ago. And I mostly just did, like, burpees with the, with the, I did burpees hold with the boxing gloves on, and then I come up right. and you punch and you go back down. Wasn't real boxing. But that's that's like that's like uh, Billy Blanks ish. Yes, exactly. Right, right, something right. Like, yeah. something we, like we all, that. Which we did. We I did a lot of that too. So, <laughs> I mean, didn't we all do those DVD things back in the day? Of course. Yeah, I mean, doesn't right. anybody remember P ninety X? Insanity. I used to actually go into Billy Blanks' class. Oh, oh, oh. It was oh, here yeah. in LA. So like, you know, why put on the thing? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go hang out with Billy and his brother Michael and we go in and train and whatever. This is the part of the story when it's like, how do we know each other? It's like, we've known each other for so long, 25 years. Yes, absolutely. It was like 14. So that'd be 25 years for those right. of you who can do math. That's a bummer. But if you can't, then let's <laughs> let it go. Let it go. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, so where did go-karting fit into this? And then we're going to talk about how we met. Yes. So um, go-karting came in after, actually a while after I started racing. So I started at 18 
And, you know, they've got the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach, the celebrity race, right? The pro no. celebrity race. And the, the, the first time I actually just went, it was Ricky Schroeder because I was doing Silver Spoons. I had done Silver Spoons. He did the race. They let me practice up at Willow Springs. And they let me just hop in the car on the fourth day of practice. And I ended up going faster than everybody who had been actually practicing for four days. I literally just hopped in the car and just went faster than everybody. I was like, that that was fun. Um, So a couple years later, they invite me to do it. I end up doing it. I end up winning. Um, And I kind of clock out and literally just disappear from the rest of the celebrity field. The next year, they invite me to come back as the previous winner. They tell me that I got to start at the back of the pack. As a pro. But not as a pro yet. Oh, at the back of the celebrity field. Just the back of the celebrity field. So even though I qualified up front, they put me at the back of the celebrity field. I was in first place in four laps. Oh, God. (laughs) Right? So I just went through the field, and literally almost every turn I passed somebody, and just in four laps, I was in the lead. So the next year, they invite me back again, and it's their 25th anniversary. They invite me back. They invite a bunch of, like, previous winners um, they give me a car. I didn't get the I, call, by the way. You you were probably busy that weekend. <laughs> you might have been. Um, actually, no, that would have been before you were you were racing. Yeah, I think was, I did it in two thousand one. Yeah, this was like ninety six. Okay, all right. I, I feel less slighted. <laughs> they anyway. Um, so so the, I went into turn one, no brakes. I mean, there's runoff, but what a bummer. No, no, it was a wall. It was a wall, but I used the e-brake because I put my foot to the floor. Nothing happened. I grabbed the e-brake, pull it up, and kind of get the car to rotate so I went in sideways and didn't take the front out. So then I just used the gears and the e-brake the rest of the way. No, you didn't. Yes. I finished third. No, you didn't. (laughs) I don't even think I could have done that. Well, I just was like, that was, I wasn't going to stop. I was like, let me just try. And it, you know, you had to break way earlier, right? So next up drifting. Yeah. Well, I tried that. I'm not that good at that. Um, (laughs) But so from there I was like, well, let me just do some other stuff. Right. And I'd done some, they had the Dodge neon um, celebrity series and different stuff. And then I, I decided I wanted to try to give it a real run. So I went and I did the Barbie Dodge pro series. I did the star Mazda series. Um, so I did my first oval at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in the in the Star Mazda series. I did a bunch of road courses, Laguna Seca, Sears Point, um, and did okay, you know. And and uh, and then I ended up having a pretty bad crash um, at a street circuit in Reno in the Barbara Dodge car, and so that kind of derailed me moving forward in real cars. But I wasn't done racing. I still had the bug, right? So um, someone had, like that we knew was like, oh, you should try go-karting. And I was like, you know, all right, let's try go-karting. And then I like found out really what go-karting was like. And I went, ooh, this could be, this, this could still give me what I want in the racing world, right? I can still go and, and, and bust and go hard. And so I, I ended up finding a team and, and Sean Patrick Flannery and myself and Mark Paul Gossler and Perry King and a bunch of us decided we were all going to do a little bit of this. And so we, we ended up getting go-karts and we ended up teaming up with Tony Kart, right? Which is where, which is leading into us, right? So we ended up with the guy who would import all the Tony Kart chassis into America. John? The main Jean, Jean Marcioni, right? So, but we almost funded him, right? Which meant you funded me. Which this is where <laughs> our circles cross because we've been at Super Nationals in Vegas. Yeah. Right? We went ahead and we basically put that massive tent, we paid for it at, at Super Nats in Vegas and you ended up in our tent in Las Vegas. At 14 years old. At 14 years old. While we were basically out there trying to do the S1, S2 class and and run with all the big boys. The, the problem is we always felt like 
Um, the engine program at, at, at Tony Cart was nowhere near everybody else's. Um, whenever we'd go and put our motor on someone else's dyno, uh, it was like, I don't see the difference between this and a stock motor. Um, so we, we just never were able to compete as we felt that we could. Yeah. Um, you know, Scott Speed was part of that time when he was racing and, you know, we ended up leaving Tony Carp, but we, that's where we met. You were, you were 14 and out there and you were just as spunky as, as you, your whole, that was the beginning of seeing like you turn into like, yeah, go get it, girl. Yeah. What well, I mean, I'm, I don't normally ask questions uh, about me, but what do you, I don't even, I mean, I was 14. I don't, rem- what I remember is, of course, like how cool it was that like you, and we called, I mean, obviously Mark Paul being Zach, for those right. who don't know Mark Paul Gossler, Zach, Zach from Saved by the Bell. And then Sean Patrick Flannery, we called Powder because he was right. Zach, he did a movie called Powder. Powder. Right, right. <laughs> And so, and like my sister and I, and there's like, I can remember this picture uh, that we had all together hanging out around the go-kart. But I just remember thinking how cool it was. I was like, wow, these people are into racing. But the question I have, just because you were there back then, I don't even, what was I like? I don't. Well, what I remember most was you kind of, you, you were shy-ish, Right in the beginning, like you were, you were, I guess you were probably a little with, with them mostly, but, but probably a little starstruck and kind of like, Oh my God, they're here. That's kind of weird. It was, but it was always that, right? It was always a bit of the, you know, why are they here? Right? Like, yeah, that's a very much the question. Why are you here? What are you doing? World's crossing that doesn't make sense to people, right? Um, (laughs) but you, but, but like, because we were all together in that tent, we we would go out and watch all the other races. And I remember watching you in one of the races and going, oh, she can drive. <laughs> like, she's got that fire. And I think when you would come back in, we were, you know, we were like, dude, girl, that was awesome. And you were kind of like, yeah, whatever. And it was like, you had like, it wasn't, it wasn't a good race, but we were impressed by it. Okay. And, yeah. but that, but that's where you, like, for me, you gain the respect because it no longer mattered that we were who we were. You were like, I didn't have the race that I wanted. It didn't matter who else is around. Right, right. It wasn't like I was like, thanks, that's really... I was like, whatever. Yeah, you were like, it, it, the race didn't didn't go exactly as we planned it. Did you and watch? I'm like, I probably was like, did you watch the race? Did you see what I... I fourth. <laughs> right, and it was like, well, but to us, it was like, you know, especially because if I remember correctly, there were literally only like three or four girls that maybe really were there, right? There was a girl from Canada that raised yep, Juliana. Two, Juliana. Um, there was you. Um, and a, and like every once in a while, you'd see another person come in and out. Right, but that'd they be about were, it. But, but really, unfortunately, they would most likely always be kind of at the back. And so, but you were the, you were, you two were the ones that were like in there competing. Like, yeah. like, okay, yeah. you, you get next to each yeah, other. Juliana was good. I yeah. mean, I was better, but she was good. She was good. She was good. And, and like, what was interesting was her and I had many run-ins. Really? Oh, a ton. Oh my god! I have a story too about a run-in. <laughs> what was your run-in? Well, we we ended up we were in the same class, so we ended up like we were in Barrie, Ontario. She was Canadian. She was Canadian, so it was her kind of home race. She was a big part of helping get Scusa there, mm-hmm. and so you know she was expected to win. Yeah, and she was, they were part, I think her family was imported the Burrell carts. Right, right, right. So they were, it was a big Factory. deal, right, for them to 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 do something. And we went into one of the heats and she bumped me out of the way. Okay. So, I mean, if we can now draw in the beginning of this conversation about fighting in school, it's like, if you want to fight me, I just need you to know how this goes. I mean, this, you bumped me out of the way. (laughs) I mean, a couple corners later. (laughs) That's quick. 
she got bumped out of the way. And we we get in after the heat. She ends up finishing near the back. She con- and she and like she storms down right and up in my face, gives me the shove, and I was like, like I can't do anything here. You're like I'm still a, I'm a grown up. You see yeah, the I didn't used to hear that back in the day about me. They're like, you can't start a fight because I can't fight you back. I can't like I can't. But, like, different when you're an adult. Like, it's still male, female, uncool, can't do it. But I was also an adult. Yeah. As a kid. (laughs) Like, how does this... Yell at a 13-year-old? How does this end, right? And I think she was was probably, like, 17. Yeah, she was probably in the seniors class, so she was at least... Right, right. But I was like, I can't, I can't, we can't, but I, okay, right? And I was like beat it <laughs> in the oh next race God. whatever but you know but she but she was a fighter she was a hardcore yeah. go after it get it done you know try yeah. to win every race um had that you know canadian uh you know uh uh, uh french canadian fire and and you know but but what i remember most about you was that you ultimately was a hardcore go get it take no bull um, racer, and it was like immediate respect, and I and, and I, I've always said, and I, laughingly, I was like, well, you know, Danica used to race for me. <laughs> you should tell that story. <laughs> I need to know that story. I didn't know that story. I was like, yeah, the super nationals. She came, and she was under our tent, and we had the whole because we were we were basically funding Tony Card. So like, we were that week basically funding the entire operation. And that was the year that Jean decided to do a map. I mean, we had the biggest tent by a long shot. I think there were 30 carts under the tent. And so, you know, after that, I think we ended up, I feel like I remember like my dad thought there's too many people in there. So we got our, we like moved out of the tent and like got our own space because it was just like too much and not enough attention. And, and so, yeah, we, we moved out, but my Juliana story is fairly similar. I think I was racing somewhere in maybe Indiana or something. And she bumped me and then the race finished and I didn't get back to her. So afterwards I, I was close enough. And after the checkered flag, I just came up behind her and slammed <laughs> her so hard and sent her off. Right. And you know, it's really, you know, it, it shouldn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to say it shouldn't matter. But, um, after the checkered flag, they don't usually, they don't like you to, um, do those kinds of things. So yep. I got in trouble. Yeah, I, I it's mean, always the second offender. Do you, re- do you ever notice that? Like, then you look at all of sports. You look at sports. You look at racing. I can think of all kinds of times with myself and my sport. But you look at it, and the antagonizer doesn't get in trouble. Absolutely, it's the retaliation that gets in trouble, and yep. that's just not fair. Well, I, you know, I, I've just, I've just said that I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to stop doing it. Right. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, the second the second person gets in more trouble. Okay. Oh well. Okay, but it's going to happen. Right? <laughs> and, and you know, I mean, obviously as you as you continue to do amazing, um like there is a there's a very difficult reality that's very different in racing than it is in many aspects of the world um where I believe like you had to hit her. I know what you mean. Right? Like you, like that moment, the next time you two come together on a racetrack, like she's got to think just for a split second, can I do this? Mm-hmm. Because I know what the end result is going to be. It's coming back. Unless it was clean, unless it was fair, it's coming back. Yeah, I remember this, 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 it honestly felt like a burden because it's not my nature. Like I don't love being overly aggressive and taking people out and it's not my nature. I like to be fair. And I remember in NASCAR, especially with bumpers that when people would do stuff to me, there was this really big pressure around me where it was like, you better do something about that. You better go take them out. You better. And it was like, ah, and you know, for anybody who watched me, I didn't always execute very well. I sometimes took myself out. 
And then like one of the times where I got hit by a driver and then I came back out, it was at Martinsville and I hit him back and tried to take him out, but I took myself out. Right. And, um, I, that was the race that Matt Kenseth and Joey Logano had it out. And Matt Kenseth came back on the track after he had been taken out and, and crashed Joey Logano and right. he was in the running for the championship. And, um, it was because Logano did it to him the race before at Michigan. And so because NASCAR was under such high scrutiny, scrutiny for what, what Kenseth did, um, I'm sort of blanketing myself in this is that I got a huge punch. Like, I think I got fined like $70,000 and wow. got like six months probation for it. I mean, like I had a huge fine for it all because it was kind of under this really highly scrutinized race about since I was not, it was not for position with him, just like Matt and Joey weren't for position. Right. All of a sudden it turned into this big thing. But yeah, it's just not fair in general, but it's the way it goes. And I think, I mean, you know, that's probably a good attitude. Just you have to, you're right. In racing, you do kind of have to stand up for yourself. So there's a second thought. But I think that it, I don't think it's just racing. I think in life, if yeah, somebody yeah. does you does you wrong and you have to sort of correct it, there might be some sort of repercussion of that, but that person better think twice before they screw you over again or say something negative to you. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, you're not about words, you know, words are cheap going all the way back to my childhood. It's the same thing, right? It's the same reality that I had growing up where if you're going to attack me, you got to know what's coming back. And as long as you know what's coming back, the next time you're going to think before you do it. And all you need is the thought. I don't want, it's not about intimidation. It's not about any of that. It's about, I want you to know because there are bullies in the world. And those bullies, they thrive on knowing you're not going to do anything. And so for me, I kept, I always looked at it like, well, you, you're going to have to do something. Because you're going to attack, I'm going to respond, and now what? Where, where, where are you? Are you really the bully, or do you sell wolf tickets? Good luck. Which one is it? Because if you're really the bully, then you're going to stand up to the fight. There are a lot of guys, and you know, very different in NASCAR because you have bumpers, right? IndyCar, that y'all don't play that, right? No. That's not a game you play because people lose their lives. Um, in go-karting, you gotta have bumpers, it's open wheel, but it's bumpers, so it's kind of an in-between, but you constantly, you know, especially in the, like, you always get bumped in the back. Yeah. That's an almost always case, right? So, um, I just, I, I think just through life, I've, I've just always been that, that fighter that wants to live a happy life, and I just want to be left alone in that world of like just don't attack i'm never gonna attack anybody ever mm. right i was like whenever i accidentally bump somebody at the end of the race i don't care whether i ended up winning losing back of the field the first thing i would do is walk up and go my bad just immediately i'm letting you know that was an accident that is not my intention i was not trying to take you out i'm sorry my bad how can I make it up to you? Like, that was always me because that's just who I am. Yeah. Like, I'm never the starter of anything. I'm always the guy who gets gets it, takes it. And then when I respond, people are like, you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just responding. Um, and it's just, you know, look, it's, it's uh, I think in life you want to you wanna make people recognize to make the right decisions and make the right choices and don't bully anybody. Don't come down on anybody. Let's just try to do this and have fun. Um, I used to say to people all the time, by the way, if you're racing next to me, this is not your career. Is it really that serious? I'm doing this for fun and I'm not good enough to make it to the top. So if you're racing next to me, there's a good chance you're not making it either. So let's just leave it and let's have a great time. Let's respect each other and let's keep going. Oh, well, I think you're undermining your talent. But so where does where does acting fit into this? Because like I'm hearing about like, you know, boys and growing up and the banter and the fighting and the racing and the, you know, like where does acting fit into this? So here's a very interesting thing that I that I that I always look at. Right. It all makes total sense 
to me, right? <laughs> because acting is the only job, right, where truly second place is the first loser. Only one person gets the job. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So you're fighting for the win and nothing else. Yeah. Because nothing else matters. The guy who was going for my role, who finished in last place, and the dude who just didn't get it and was the next person in line, there's no difference. So the mentality of win or don't care is how I live my life, how I live with everything. I only know that you either win or you're lost. Second place doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like right? in uh, Talladega Nights when he says, Dad, you said if you ain't first, you're last. And he goes, that's stupid, son. He's like, you could be third or fourth or shoot, you could be fifth. <laughs> <laughs> you can. I love those racing movies. They're so yeah, great. Well, well, greatly terrible. But, but so, so with the acting... Right. It was always about winning it. And I, and I say this all the time. The, the job in the industry. Right. Your job is to audition. That's what being an actor is. Right. Once you get you, it. You get it. You if you get it, that's the bonus. Right. But the job is auditioning. You got to learn your lines. You figure it out. You create whatever it is you're going to do. You go into that audition space, whatever it might be, and you deliver. And if you deliver the best, you get the job. Now you get the bonus of doing the work, right? So for me, it was like, I got to go win today, right? I got to go win. I got to go be this person. I got to become somebody else today. And and I was very fortunate because I literally worked from day one. The first audition I ever went on, I got. And so I, in my mind, only knew you go to win this. You go into that room and you go win. You be whatever it is that you need to be, right? No holes barred. Whatever they ask you to do, you go do it. And you do it with a smile and you deliver. And so, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to deliver on, you know, some impactful roles that um, gave me an incredible life. And, um, and, I, and I feel blessed and fortunate that I was, you know, even put in the position to go in, you know, and to get and to give myself an opportunity to, to win those roles. When, when um, I switched to a different agency many years ago, and the first meeting I had with this agent that I ended up going with, his name was John uh, Stovitz. Um, and he, he said to me, all I can do as your agent is give you a chance to succeed, but you got to go succeed. Nobody's going to do like, we could be at the big, I'm with CAA, which is the biggest kind of, you know, talent agency in the world. We can't get you work. You get yourself work. We're just going to give you the opportunity to get that work. And that's, and that's the way I've always looked at it. It's my job to go in and deliver. And, you know, with acting, it's just, it was easy for me to become somebody else. It was easy for me to, you know, as, as, as we've gone through this interview, it's hard for people to imagine that the person who's saying all this played Carlton, right? Like it just, they don't equal up. That's because it's, I'm playing somebody else. I become somebody. I live that life. I be, I literally become that person. And I, I, I deliver what I think is a comedic, most of the time, performance of that person. And, and, and my comedy really is, you know, s people live at like a six or a seven. On TV, you got to be a nine or ten in terms of energy. You take, okay. it, yeah. take it to the end of where it's almost too much. Right. And so, you know, I can't live. It's it, I can't be on screen at six or seven. I got to be at nine or ten. And so that's all I ever did. I mean, even when I do like I mean, I'm obviously not full on acting, but if, let's say there's a take for a commercial or anything, you name it, like something little. And then they're like, all right, let's do one more take for safety, which always means that was OK. But maybe there's better in you. Right. Right. Always. Um, and then I and so. <laughs> And then when I say, would you like me to like really, would you like me to overact? 
And they're like, sure. And they always love the overacting. They just love it. They love the, oh my gosh, and the dramatization. And they love it, you know? And it's like... Because there's that little person in the back of our head that says, but don't look like a fool. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right? So you, you, you stop yourself short of being too big, always. That is every person in this world. That is their instinct, is to stop short. Okay, when did lot. overacting and looking a fool and being afraid you might look a fool, when did that pay off and you were like, I'm so, you know, there it is. I'm, you know, I, I was worried, but holy shit, it worked. Literally after when I was on Broadway, like at 12, it was like, because theater, musical, not a drama, I'm the tap dance kid. You've got to talk to that person in row 38. You got to talk to that person and you've got to figure out how to project to that person while still being in the role. Mm. When I got to TV, they all kept trying to turn the knobs down. Oh. It was always, all right, just bring it down a little bit more. Just, just a little less, a little less. I was always 10-10, right? Mm -hmm. Always. And then it was like, nah, let's, let's throw a seven in here every once in a while. <laughs> and I was like, a seven? <laughs> You're like, I mean, anyone could do that. I was like, we're missing the point. But really, <laughs> but that, but, but then I learned, oh, it's variety, right? You got to have highs and lows. And sometimes the lows need to be here. And sometimes moments need to play incredibly true and incredibly real and small. And then sometimes I need to play big. Well, all my moments on Fresh Prince that are memorable are big moments, oh, yeah. right? They're 10, sure. 10 moments. Yeah. And what I learned while doing Fresh Prince would be, oh, I need to go to the five to allow Will to go to the nine so that I don't take away from his moment. So sometimes the still is the setup for the big. Kaboom. Yeah. I need to be the cuff for his boom, yeah. right? So, so it's, it's literally, I learned that as time went along, but it was literally from first time performing in front of a large audience was go big or go home, right? Go deliver it all, which is why most likely when people talk about like, well, why haven't you had a film career? I'm like, cause I'm too big for film, right? Like I haven't learned how to do a two. Mm. It's and, very difficult. Yeah, like you, like to be, because I mean, I'm guessing again, because I'm not in film, but it's very, it's, it's, you're not, it's not as much presenting. It's kind of more like um, actually catching you having a conversation. You know, it's like a moment right. caught as opposed right. to, it's supposed to be natural as opposed to which naturals, naturals a lot lower than a 10. Right. Very much, very much so. And you have to drop it all the way down. You've got, uh -huh. to, you've got to really take it small. And the way I always like to say it is the difference between me being here and me being here. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, that's a visual. If I'm talking from here, I better not have an awful lot going on. But if I'm back here, I can talk with my hands. I can. So that's, it's kind of the closer you get the smaller you get, the wider you get, the larger you get. And so the, the, the film medium to me is such a smaller like picture frame mm -hmm. that it's really difficult for me to hit all my notes. Yeah. yeah. Did you want to do film? Oh, I think as an actor, you want to do everything. Right. right. I mean, especially like it seems like I'm on a, uh, some sort of graduation, right? I don't know. Right. It just seems like when you do this, then you do that, right? Right. Right. I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you become a film star, you become a movie star and you basically, you know, you know, get to call your shots for the rest of your life. Right. Whereas TV star, you're always walking into an into that room auditioning. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, you know, would have loved to. But I just didn't I didn't have that thing that allowed me to go to that small place while still delivering 
a big moment. I right. never learned how to do that. Right. So what do you do? So, cause I think this is something I've even done in my own life where you just end up realizing kind of what your talents are, like what your personality is and, and then where that fits in. You know, for me, I, I always thought something like, when I'm done with racing, I'll have a cooking show. I love to cook. I, that'll be really fun. I know and, you love to cook. Yeah. Yeah. I've cooked for you. Um, uh, <laughs> it was great. I, thanks. But I, but then I thought, then I did a couple of segments and, you know, I've done plenty of different cooking shows and been on, but then I realized I'm like, I don't think I can do that. I'm not, I'm not that funny. I'm not that light. I'm not that uh, bubbly. I'm like super serious, which is where the podcast came in. Cause right. when it came to talking to people and, and like going deep, I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, I love talking. I love that. I'm so interested. That is far more my jam than it is to talk about, Hey, and take a cup of this and pour in a tablespoon of that and mix that up. And why's that going over there, Susie? You having a good, you know, like I, I, I just can't do it. And so I learned where I fit in. So where does it, where do you I hear you? But I, but I'll say, I don't fully agree with that in that it's not about the, it's about a team, right? You've done single person sports with teams behind you. Right, right, right. Right. It's about a team. If I were to put you with two or three chefs and you all got in a kitchen and played, I bet you would be really, really fun in those moments because it wouldn't be about you having to be fun. You would just have fun inside of a world that you actually enjoy because you enjoy the process right, of right. making a meal. If, yeah. that was the, if that was the circumstance, it would take you out of what you know you're comfortable with because it's that same thing. Can you go beyond that moment of like, I know that this is where I'm comfortable. This is my six. Even though you take your six to the 10, because this is what you're also really good at, you feel comfortable with it. Whereas that you're less comfortable. I think you would be fantastic on a cooking show, but that's just me. But, um, but with, with that, you know. You and your wife should do it. Angela well, can do the baking and all the desserts and I'll cook the main. I mean, like, come on, that we're would be selling crazy. a show right now. <laughs> so where did you find that your talents and your ability to be at a 10? Like, where does that fit in? Where did you find a home for that after? Because when did Fresh Prince, when was, I mean, Fresh Prince ended long time ago uh 1996 yeah there right. you go so, so i mean there's been a lot of time and 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 you've done plenty of other things but you know where did you find that that personality fit in well i think you know the beautiful thing about sitcom work is your rehearsal process the rehearsal process is everything in sitcom. If you don't have a good director that knows how to lift up the rehearsal process, you typically don't have a show, right? Mm. On Fresh Prince, our rehearsals was everything. We created magic in rehearsals that then made it to screen. Right. A lot of things that we did ad libbing and playing around, the director sometimes would be like, just keep going. And you would just like play. And you, we always had writers who would be sitting on set because they learned that writing what you did, whatever we did, they would write it down. And then all of a sudden the next day it's in the actual script in the wow. context of the scene. And so you learn, I learned very quickly that go, go play. Find it. Do whatever. Go 10-10. Right? There were so many things that like the 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 uh there was a there was a um Madeline Kripe was a was the 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 coordinator, camera coordinator for the show. And she used to have a a saying for me, and it was way over the top. Made me laugh. <laughs> right? Because that was me. And she would always be like, that was way over. Made me laugh. So, like, do you bring it back and it's not as funny? Or do you go all the way, but it made you laugh, right? It worked on Fresh Prince for me to go over because we looked into the camera, or Will did. 
The moment that happened, it allowed for anything. Huh. Because it wasn't Those moments when it would be like. Right. Immediately made it okay to do anything. You can go way over the top. You can do anything. It doesn't matter. This isn't real. And as soon as the audience knew it wasn't real, we had a license to do whatever we want. So I could go 10-10 all day long. Because, like, like, realistically, would I really come down the staircase and just turn on the radio and go into a big dance routine? I don't know. Anybody actually do that? No. But once Will looks into the camera and goes, now that can happen because it's not real. You get to come into our family, this fake family, and play. Yeah. And is that kind of how the office does it? Is any like is any look to camera kind of like license to license to go? It's it's license to to not be real. Not be real. Cool. Yeah. It's a true license. The moment Gosh, anybody so looks true. in, it's this ain't real. This ain't real. We're looking at yeah. you. We're looking at you sitting on your couch in your living room. This isn't real. So we're about to do something real silly and stupid that isn't real. But come come for the ride. It's going to be fun. Yeah, right? It's ridiculous, but yeah. it's funny. But it's funny, right? And that and it's 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 understanding the moments and the and the 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 triggers for people at home that allow them to let go of reality. Let go of what should be real, should be played real. Now we played real moments all the time, but they allow you to go over the top, Yeah, right? You couldn't imagine the Friends cast really going over the top. Right. They went to the limit, but they wouldn't go over the top because that was supposed to feel real. Right. Right. They don't, there's no, uh, it was almost like the look to the camera is like breaking character of going like, I'm in character. And then you look to the camera and go, this ain't, this, I, hey, I'm, I'm out of character for a moment. Watch this. Right. And back in. Yeah. Immediately it changes. It changes the relationship with the audience. So that is a huge, that was a huge part of why we were able to do things and why I still think today in syndication, it still does so well because that wasn't real. Right. Right. That also allowed Will Smith at the time most people don't think about this. At the time, actors on television weren't allowed to become movie stars. There was a hard line that if you were a TV actor, you were a TV actor. If you were a movie star, you were a movie star. And they never crossed, mm-hmm. right, in the 70s, 80s, and, and early 90s. The moment Will looked into the camera, he could go be anybody else. Right, right, because he was showing, like, Oh, gosh, wow. I'm not, I'm not this dude. I'm wink, wink. I can be anybody because right now I'm about to do something real out of character. Wow. That's fun. You will look at television and movies differently. Right. Yeah. Uh, everyone will, by the way, that's listening to this. <laughs> I was like, here's the curtain. Come look behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a time. How many years was the show? We actually only did six seasons. Six yeah. big years that led into life, basically. Right. You know, after that was done, what what were the what were the I mean, what were the big lessons? Because that's a big life change. Well, the the real lesson was things come to an end. Cherish him when you can. Which is a beautiful lesson. Yes. Cherish this moment. This moment will never happen again for you. Mm. Recognize it. When we when we finished our our last season and we're all standing on that stage knowing that this is the last time that we'll all be together like this. We'll see each other. We're all friends. We all love each other. But this will never be like this again in your life. Mm-hmm. And when you get home and wake up tomorrow morning, your life will be different. Remember, cherish, and enjoy it. And that last day, that last taping, that last week, that whole, the whole week, we just took it all in and enjoyed it and enjoyed every moment. 
and enjoyed every moment with everyone. And, and it was, it was a, it was an incredible time, but the lesson ultimately was, you know, this is going to come to an end. And when it does, now you got to move on to the next part of your life. And what does that look like? And most of us, you never know what that looks like. Well, you don't, yeah, you don't, you can try and create it, but you, you don't always know for sure. Yeah. So what has that made you do different moving forward in your life, whether it be work or relationships or family or kids or, you know, what, what has, what have you, how has things been different since then knowing that so young? I mean, you were in your twenties, right? Yeah. I mean, I- there were a lot of different, you know, let's say, you know, parts of my growth and in my life and, um, and, 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 and all of those, I, I, I lived life, right? Like I really lived life. I loved life. Racing became part of my life, not on camera. I didn't go there with camera crews taping me. Like if you imagine today some television star going to a, doing a race thing, they'd have like, it'd become a reality show. It wasn't a reality show. It was like my life. And yeah. I started to do things that I enjoyed, yeah. that I loved to do, that made me, you know, passionate, right? And when racing kind of went away, you know, it was like, then it turned into golf, right? And it's like all the time, golf, golf, golf. I can't get enough golf. I can't get enough of that feeling, that competitive feeling that I get, but also the love of, of something like that. Um, and so I, I, I went, I went heavily on fun, right? Um, and then, you know, you reach a certain point, certain age where you're like, okay, fun enough with the fun, right? And luckily for me, that's when Angela came into my life, right? And turned me into a much better person. That it wasn't about the fun. It wasn't about, you know, any of that. It was like, hey, we're going to, we're in love and we're going to have kids and we're going to love our kids. We're going to be with our kids and we're going to, you know, family first and all of that. Um, and like, you know, a year and a half ago, middle of the pandemic, you know, stuff like her walking in and saying, hey, let's go buy an RV. And me going, what? Obviously, I'm totally going to ask about the RV adventure. Right, right. But I'm like, what? Like, what do you the mean? RV world tours. Right. What do we do? What are you talking about? But like, one of the things I've learned is, wow, there is a beautiful country that we live in that has so many beautiful things to offer. And to be able to go, like this last trip, we went up to Glacier National Park. Yeah. That might be one of the most beautiful places in this country, period. It's stunning. Right? And it's amazing to go up there. And, of course, we have little kids, so we can't really do the hikes as much as we would like to. And and one day we'll do that. But, like, just going to see such picturesque, beautiful places, um, that's what she's brought into my life. She brought me, she, you know, leveled it down, got me. Now I can do it too. Oh. Right. I couldn't and do now, it. Too. And now, and like in two, in a year and a half from now, you'll be a movie star. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll see. Um, but, but the idea of, you know, really getting down to the, the core of really the person that I am, which is, about happiness, about joy, right? All of the fun and all of the, you know, having a great time. And then, you know, you know we're never going to have this moment again. So let's enjoy it, right? All of that. Now it's like, you know what? We are going to have this moment again. It's just going to look different, mm. right? It's just not going to, it's not going to be this moment, but we're going to have these moments. We're going to share wonderful times with friends. We're going to, you know, on our road trip, stop at your house and, and, and have dinner, right? We're going to, we're going to have, we're going to. Love it. Right. We're going to have these moments in our lives that you can share and and and, you know, it doesn't have to happen every day, but you cherish those moments. You you stop and, you know, as they say, you stop and smell the roses. And that's really the, the transition that has changed for me. That is that it's like I can just go sit somewhere. I couldn't sit before and I can sit and just and just be and and. You know, she's been the most incredibly supportive person with my business, with with that. But it's really just like I am a better person 
because I was fortunate enough to meet her. Mm, you know, the experiences that you're having right now are priceless with the kids young and being able to have freedom and traveling and seeing places together and having new experiences together. I mean, that's just gold. And it's so cool that, you know, you both are just such a good team. Um, what do you want to teach your kids and in this whole journey, especially when you have this immersion time. Because <laughs> anybody that doesn't know bus life, it is full immersion. Yes, you, you're you in. Um, the I want them to find joy in the smaller things. I want them to truly, you know, at, at this age, all they're doing is wanting to run and play and, and tackle and fight and all of that, right? I want them to recognize what's, when something is beautiful. And there are moments when, you know, we're driving in the RV and I'll say, guys, come on up here, check this out. And they'll come up and like my older son, AJ, will be like, wow. Mm -hmm. And like, those are the moments that I want them to remember forever. I want them to be able to say, wow, we've seen some incredibly beautiful things that, that, that this countryside has to offer. And, you know, a mo you know, days don't go by when they realize that the, the reason they even have this is because you got to put in the hard work, right? Like I'm able to buy an RV and go riding around the country because I've worked my butt off to get that. All the good, wonderful things in your life will come from your hard work. Enjoy what you see. Take it in. I, I always like to say, as an actor, I can't portray something I've never seen. That's right. It's fact. I mean. Right? Like I can make it up, but how real is it? Don't know. Mm -hmm. Right? So the more people you meet, the more places you see, the more experiences you have yeah. is what makes you full. Mm -hmm. And that you can bring to anything you do in life. Anything. Doesn't matter what it is, whether it's on TV, movie, whether it's, you know, sitting at a desk. Um, you're going to bring your experiences to whatever it is you do, to whatever you're passionate about. And this road trip, the constant road trips are part of that. You know, we, we say all the time, you can read about Mount Rushmore in a book, but it's really kind of cool to go see it in person. So let's just go see it and, and experience it. And yeah. that's what we've done. You know, you don't have to rely on the, the books to be reporting on anything, right? You actually just go see it for yourself. Yep. Yep. You're not taking someone else's uh, take on it. You're just seeing yeah. and experience, you know, it's wow. And crazy. It's much smaller than I thought. I know my parents were just there. <laughs> they went to, my parents went to Sturgis. Okay. Yeah. Cause you know, they're bikers. Yep. Yep. Um, they're anything really. Um, and they they drove by that and they've they they did last year because they went and they said it is smaller than you'd think. It's just I you know, I was like, wait a minute, that's it? I was like, that <laughs> was massive. But you know, it, it's kinda hard to, you know, chisel faces in the rock. I mean yeah, <laughs> kind of yeah. sense after you see it and you go, Yeah, yeah, they kinda had to do this and you know, it didn't take them a hundred years. So where do you fit in in golf, in RVing around the country and all the fun things that you do, where do you fit in time? Where, where does work start? Because you do Funny's Home Videos, which is cool and so funny. I mean, who didn't watch that growing up? Right, me too, right? Um, loved it. Um, but I, I, uh, I have the greatest job on the planet because, um, one, I just get to go and laugh at videos, right? Like even right before we came on, I was actually prepping uh, voiceover for tomorrow for AFE because my first day is tomorrow. And the, the, the beauty of that is, is that we tape throughout the year, right? So, so that the videos remain fresh. I might work this day and then I might work again, like in two weeks. And then I might work again in another two weeks. And then, so it's spread out through the year. So I just kind of look at my schedule and go, okay, I got a two week hole. Got it. This is my window. These right. are my windows. So let's go take a trip for those two weeks. Sure. And then come back. Right. Golf is, you know, if, if I'm not on set, I can go play golf. Right. So I, I fit that in often. Um, but that 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 just fits in where it fits in. You know, I mean, I'm passionate about it. I've got a simulator in my guest house. Scottsdale's calling your name, by the way. I just want you to know that y'all moving out here 
It's calling. There's got to be more golf courses here than anywhere. I keep saying to Angela that I would love Arizona. She's like, yeah, but it's so hot in the summer. I was like, yeah, but that we get two places. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. We're, we're working on it because I know you keep saying it on the other side. <laughs> um, I, do, I, 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 do. I, love I love your wife. She's like my super girl, my hippie girlfriend who knows everything about when it comes to EMFs and food and all the yeah. things. And I know she keeps you healthy and well. And uh, I think she's great. And I think you should move out here so we can hang out and be friends. I, I think uh, I think I'm working on it with you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I um, hope you come out soon. And in the meantime, you know, keep doing your, keep doing the, keep doing the, the, the living life thing, you know, and being joyful and having fun and teaching your kids what it's like to work hard, play hard. That's it. I'm going to thank you. And I'm going to absolutely, you know, I'm just going to keep doing me and keep, and keep loving it. And, and, you know, I, I feel so blessed that I have this life and I've got amazing fans around the country who show me love all the time. And, you know, and more importantly, I've got great family and great friends that continue to support me and continue, you know, lifting me up. Um, and and all I'm going to do is keep being me and keep loving, loving everybody that I have in my world. Sounds like a good job. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Pretty Intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.